Welcome to Expedition U and thanks for tuning in. We all live in a fast-paced and hectic world that is challenging to even the highest functioning individuals and businesses. Expedition U focuses on the personal accounts and stories of those individuals who have been able to cut through the noise, create laser focus on their dreams, and help others to do so as well along the way. So sit back, relax, open your mind to the limitless possibilities of the journey ahead. Hey everybody, welcome back to Expedition U, where we talk about all things investing, investing in yourself, investing in your business, your finances. It's not just real estate, it's not just money, it's about where you're coming from, it's about where you're going, who's invested in you, and who you are investing in. Super pumped here today to have uh, my friend, uh, business partner, and co-founder, Jared Yellen. Uh, you know, I, I could read off a, a long pedigree, but I'm going to give him a his 30 seconds to kind of tell us, I know you got Synduit, you got Sela Labs, you got uh, Project 10K, which is going to blow up, uh, co-founder with a 10X incubator uh, with a Grant Cardone. Uh, so just tell us a little bit of kind of where you're from, uh, and then we'll get deeper into it. Awesome. Well, first off, thank you. I, I love who you are. I love what you stand for. I love what we're doing, and, and I'm an open book, so you can ask me anything. But a, a bit about me, when I was 20 years old, I had this realization, which was eventually I'm going to become a dad. And most 20-year-old young men are not thinking about becoming a dad unless they're about to become a dad. And I wasn't yet. But the reason I was even thinking about that, Jason, is I was reflecting on my childhood. And my parents went through a very intense divorce when I was five years old. I'm sure there's more intense divorces than theirs, but it was, it was pretty grueling. And if somebody were to say to me, what's one word to define your childhood, I would have said loud. Like there was, there was nowhere for me to go for peace. So when I was 20 years old, I realized this is a point of demarcation for me. I can commit right now and take specific actions that produce a specific lifestyle for my future children. But I'm like, what does it mean for me to be a dad? And as I was thinking about that word, I realized for me, the non-negotiable was freedom. And up until that point, I don't remember ever even thinking about the word freedom. And I'm like, wow, what is freedom? So I broke it down to 12 different categories. I zoned in and for 30 minutes, I just started to write. And I wrote seven pages of content where I defined all 12 areas of freedom, everything from my health, to my career, to my finances, to my geography. And when I was done, I read this document over and I realized I don't know anyone that has this type of lifestyle. And if I'm going to want what other people that I know don't have, I got to do what other people that I know haven't done. And I just went all in on entrepreneurship for the past 17 years. Now I'm 37 years old. I have two beautiful children. Taylor is five and Riker is three. I'm very happily married. We got a great life and we have that freedom. And it's because I just went all in on entrepreneurship. So, so you know, the thing that I find interesting, so kind of what you're talking about and no 20 year old understands self-manifest destiny, right? You know, uh, it, it, you know, I, I had a conversation with my kids when they were probably 14, 15. And, you know, and this is not against any one generation on Z, X, millennial, whatever. But in today's society, everyone is so secular um, and they're so um, driven on by immediate gratification. I told my kids very early, if you've got a good work ethic, you're willing to take care of people and you're willing to show up, you're going to rule the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, now that being said, what do you think it was at 20, aside from that specific circumstance, that, that gave you the ability to look 17 years forward, right? Because, I mean, the reality is, without that day, without that moment, without that, that brain session, that writing session, you're not, you're not sitting where you are today. So I, I probably was one of the most curious young people ever. Um, ever like my parents went through this divorce and I wanted to understand everything about 
why it was happening, where the emotion was derived from. For some reason, at eight years old, mm -hmm. I gravitated to reading motivational quotes incessantly, like incessantly, like all that I did was read motivational quotes. At 11, I read Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. I was just really deep and really introspective. But the thing that I feel has always given me the edge has been my commitment to the gym. Um, when, I was, when I was 10, I was begging my parents to have allow me to work out, like begging them. And my dad's like, nope, it's going to stunt your growth. Because that was the belief back then. I remember that. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Why will it stunt my growth? I'm going to elongate. I'm going to, I'm like, I'm begging him. And finally he goes, okay, you can do pull-ups and rowing machine, nothing more. I'm like, deal. And every day, like the discipline was so strong, pull-ups, rowing machine. And I saw the difference. Like my body started to take form. And then when I got into high school, I'm like, dad, I, I need to be able to really work out. Like it just, it just has to happen. So he gave me this routine that I was only allowed to do every other day. I could never increase weight because he was afraid I was going to stunt my growth. But by the time I got to college um, and I was on my own, I realized like, this was my chance to truly have the edge in life. And I did whatever it took to gain the edge. As long as it didn't push anybody else down, I lift others up. But my discipline around my health and fitness, I was a natural bodybuilder in college and I never competed. It wasn't for that purpose. It was really just for me. And I'd go to the gym every day for about three hours and uh, I'd wear sweatshirts and sweatpants. Like no one knew what I looked like because it wasn't for that but I was ungodly strong and I would bench press incline over 400 pounds and wow. do that because the rule in the gym was you, if you had more than two plates on each side and over 400 pounds is over four plates, you had to have a spotter. So I would look for either the smallest dude or a young lady to come and spot me. And they'd be like, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I'm asking you to spot me. Because <laughs> and this is just my mentality. I started a personal training business in college because I started getting asked by my professors. Uh, and I was not a typical student. Like I could not sit in the classroom. So like, I'm like, I need a hack education. So all my professors would ask me for health advice because they just saw how I lived. So one day I realized, well, listen, you're not going to take my advice unless you pay for it. So I'm going to start charging you for advice. You're going to meet me in the gym in the morning and you're going to tell me everything I needed to know to pass the exam. So I don't have to come to class. Cause like, this is, I'm not that guy. And I literally hacked my way through college. Never well, went a lot of that, a lot of that's the discipline. A lot of that is the science behind working out. You know, I mean, we, we've all, you know, endorphin release and everything else, you know, it's funny in our business, uh, you know, so we've got a ton of young people in our office and uh, a, you know, a lot of them, they do the gym and everything else, but they were doing the gym at like, you know, five or, five or six o'clock. And so I'm seeing them all leaving the office at four. And I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you going? They're like, well, I got to hit the gym. If I don't hit the gym, you know, I'm going to feel bad the rest of the day. I was like, we need to reverse engineer this. I want you to get up at seven and go to the gym and then come to work. Yeah. You know, what happens is they're working better. They're in a better mentality. They're not trying to get out the door fast you know, in the afternoon. And it's really that setting yourself up for success by starting the day that way. You know, I mean, I think you've done the same thing, but for your career, right? You started by being healthy, by having a goal, by having that initiative, you know, by setting yourself up for success mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So one of the things we really like to talk about is kind of who fed into you. And then, you know, kind of what we'd like to really map out is where did you come from? Who helped you get there? Where are you going and who are you taking with you? Who are you feeding into? So if you had to pick, and this is kind of a hard question just to get thrown at you, but if you had to pick one individual that just kind of like, you know, speaks to you, you know, whether it's personal, family, professional, who would that be and how did they get you to that next level? 
So I, I would say my mom. So she was a single mom for my, my entire life. Like she didn't get remarried until I was older. And uh, her commitment to showing up in the midst of a, a ton of challenge and, and, and just pain and suffering because of the divorce um, was extreme. And seeing her never compromise on what she defined as true love was something that helped me realize that I will never negotiate against my values. So she made the biggest impact. I really don't have a lot of mentors now. Um, I'm so insulated with the way I learn and what I expose myself to. And I'm just a really deep thinker. And that always surprises people because they're like, wait a second, like you're doing such big things in this world as an entrepreneur. Like you must have all these mentors and guides. And, and I just don't like I yeah. insulate. I think incessantly and I take a lot of massive action. But my mom more than anyone else, I don't even know who would be a second place, really impacted me. Just seeing someone never giving up on what they define as their highest value. So let's kind of jump into present day. So, you know, and you and I have been talking for a while, so I know you're going to build, scale, and sell 10,000 technology companies in the next 10 years. Yeah. That's crazy. Talk to me about that. So I, um, when I was about 11 years ago, I launched a company called Synduit. And uh, the vision for Synduit was to build what I called the simplest marketing software in the world and then pre-populate it with content across every major industry, turn it into a subscription and then sell it to small business owners. And in my mind, Jason, this was genius. Like this was the first done for you marketing platform ever industry based. And, uh, but I didn't know where to start. I'm a non-technical tech founder. There's not an engineering bone in my entire body. I know how to write Idea guy. And I know how to sell. Yeah. I'm like, this is like, I'm like, where do I even go? I had the money at the time to, to fully fund it. So I had a previous exit right after college. I started a company and we scaled fast and I sold it. So I had the resources, but I, I felt irresponsible to write a check for something that was just so premature. It was like, it wasn't even on a napkin yet. It was like this concept in my mind. So I figured, let me just buy some time and I'll deploy my skill. So I did. I saw myself as a copywriter and I got two very high profile clients to give me a shot. We did a performance deal where I would earn 30% of any new revenue I produced. And I produced $6 million in six months for them, a million dollars a month. And wow. uh, so economically I did well, but more than the money, they just told everybody about me. And within 14 months, those, those two clients turned into almost 400 clients. And I was running this really large digital and creative agency for thought leaders. And it was an amazing business. We had a big team, big office, fantastic culture, really big name clients. Like it was, it was the, the dream from anyone's standards. But for me, it was really a means to an end. I had to launch this tech platform. I wanted to build a limitless scale solution that could support over 1 million small business owners. And I knew that running an agency wasn't it. So at the end of 2011, I had clarity of what this platform would do. So I started interviewing different software development firms all throughout the US, spoke to 12 of them. And I hired one in Boston that had the best track record. They said it would take 10 months and $750,000 to build the first version. It ended up taking two years and $2 million. And I had to scrap it and start over. And that put me in a category called a statistic because for yeah. non-technical tech founders, that's a very common outcome. You just don't know what you don't know. A great example of this is that widow that calls someone to come to their home to just clean their fireplace, right? It's a $500 cleaning. The person comes and they're like, ma'am, 
if we don't replace your fireplace, you're going to die in your sleep. Yeah. And they're like, oh my goodness. So they go into their little piggy bank, their fixed little amount of money they have left, and they take out $15,000 or $25,000 to fix something that didn't even need to get fixed in the first place because yeah. the party that has the most information is always going to win. So for me, I just got taken advantage of. But I remember in the moment when it happened, Jason, I was thinking to myself, it is so normal right now to be really angry or really sad. Like that's such a normal reaction. And for some reason, I felt this wave of gratitude. I'm like, this is happening for me. It's not happening to me. And I'm committing right now that in my life, I'm going to make the technology industry safe. I didn't know what I meant by that, but I just knew that that wasn't safe and I had to solve that problem. The second thing that happened was we had about 35 engineers on our team at that time through that firm in Boston, but one of them was a direct hire. And his name is Mani. Before Mani was working with me, um, he lived in India. And when he was in India, he started his own software development firm out of his parents' little apartment, like really the size of a closet. That's where and, all the good stuff comes from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's really amazing because he actually showed me a picture of, of his home. It was literally a closet like that, it is, that his whole family was in. And like they had such fond memories he was talking about of what happened. Now. They, had, they had like nothing based on standards of the U.S., but everything because they had each other. Sure. And uh, three years later, he took this little software development company, which was a company of one, and he had, he had over 100 employees. So outside of being a very strong engineer, he's a very good businessman and manager and mentor. He sold that company at the end of 2011 to move to the U.S. in 2012. When he moved to the U.S., he was living on the end of my street where my original office was in Englewood, New Jersey. So we were just meant to connect. Uh, our proximity alone, we literally bumped into a coffee shop one day and started talking, and I hired him on the spot in my first in-house engineer. And then in 2014, I, I promoted him to CTO. I fired that vendor because they, they literally couldn't do it. And then him and I started building our own software development team. And to fast forward to today, um, Sinduit is over 40,000 active paying users on the platform. And once I did that, I realized if I'm going to make the technology industry safe, I can't do it one time. I have to do it 10,000 times. What's well, so the in, uh, in the Bible? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Yes, multiply times 10,000 was it. It's all that I could, Jason, it's really all I could see. I remember the day it happened. I was living in Westport, Connecticut at that time. I was walking on the beach in Campo Beach, which was right outside of our home. And all that I could see was build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. And I'm like, you know something? When there's a calling that loud, you just must listen. You can't negotiate against so, it and ask why. And we just went all in. What is it that, so, I mean, again, and, and I get that because, you know, I tell my team all the time, I don't believe in incremental steps, right? You know, I'm like Neil Armstrong on the moon. I got the suit on. And when I step, I'm going 40 yards at a time, right? You know, that's, that's my mentality. But you, you launch a technology company, you know, right, wrong, and different luck, good business, whatever. It went really, really well, right? And so that's awesome. And then most people would say, okay, I did that. Now I've got a, a better widget, right? I'm going to make it a little bit better. I'm going to go do something a little bit bigger. And you go from one to adding, you know, five zeros behind it, four zeros behind it, whatever, you know? So where is the, the lack of fear? Is it just internal belief? Is it your, your sphere? I mean, and by sphere for you specifically, because you don't carry a bunch of mentors, it's your wife and your family, you know, but I mean, so back then, when, how long have you been married and where, at what point in your marriage did this idea come along? So I actually met my, so I met Lindsay, the, 
two weeks after I launched into it. So, but then we got, we got married um, six years ago. So, but yeah, so we, we were at the time, like year four, like I had a three and a half year old and one and a half year old child. My commitment is to be a father first always. So always. Just, I make, if it doesn't give me more freedom for my family, I just won't do it. So this had to give me more freedom for my family without making any compromises whatsoever while still producing the outcome. And I'll tell you what my secret is. I don't give myself enough time to get afraid. So I just commit so fast, like immediate. Like I don't worry about any details whenever I have an idea. All that uh, ready, shoot, aim. That's it. Yeah. Cause I commit and then I'm like, I'll just, I, all I have to do is outpace my next step. Like that's all I have to do. Whereas what most people do is they'll think about one decision 19 times before they make that decision. For me, I've already made 19 decisions. And even if 19 decisions were wrong, I am still outpacing them in leaps and bounds because even the wrong decision is still progress. Like you're still at least in motion. Like a well, body in motion tends to stay in motion. In, I'll give myself a chance to You're dealing in mass. So even though, you know, it's the old story uh, about Michael Jordan. They talk about you scored this many points and you had this many wins and everything else. And he's like, yeah, but I missed this many. I missed this many game winning shots and all that other stuff. But people forget about that, right? Because if you're taking small action and you have a 40% failure rate, it becomes very, very visible. If you're taking huge action and you maintain that 40% failure rate, that 60% win rate becomes ginormous. ginormous. It, becomes, yeah. it becomes so overshadowing of any failure you may have had. And that's not just in the public eye, that's in, internally. You know, one of the big conversations that we're having with my team, because my team is scaling right now and our, so we obviously, you know, we have a residential and commercial real estate business. Uh, we're actually launching a, a technology platform that's going to be, you know, revolutionary in the uh, real estate world. We're doing that with you as a partner, but internal dialogue, right? Internal dialogue is something that for whatever reason, I'm very, very focused on right now, because I think that with what we're digesting on a daily basis, if you're watching the news or if you're listening to the radio or anything else, there's so much negativity that I think it limits people's capacity to see these opportunities that you and I are discussing, right? Because everything's a negative contract and everything in the life is a negative contraction. Can't, won't, don't, shouldn't, you know, I mean, whereas I'm living in, yes, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm inviting everything in and, you know, it's, um, I was looking the transformation that we go through. So I want to go back and ask you about, let me do this first. When you came back and so you guys were living up North, correct? Yeah. Westport, Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. So when you came to this and you're like, Hey babe, um, I'm going to leave that. We're going to go do this new thing. I'm going to pick up the whole family, move South and build scale 10,000 companies in 10 years. What was her immediate response? She's on the same page. So like, like I really pre-vetted my relationships. Like, <laughs> I, like I, there was like certain values that, that must be present and, and freedom is at the foundation of it. So like, like, and this is no judgment for those that don't value freedom, but I do like immensely freedom of my choices, freedom of my health, like freedom, like that is critical for me. So I knew that she would be. And, and really the story of why we moved wasn't so much because of the company, it was COVID. Like COVID hit, I'm living in Westport, Connecticut literally the town gets locked down overnight and I have a three and a half year old and one and a half year old and I'm not putting masks on them. I'm not having them be exposed to this chaos. And that town was just in fear mode. And I'm like, cool, here's what we're going to do. We're selling everything, including all of our furniture and we're moving to Naples, Florida. 
And we literally got a house through FaceTime. Uh, we rented a home in Naples, Florida, seven days later. And we just left it. Cause I'm like, I am not thinking twice about this. I don't know where this is going. All that I know is that it's violating my non-negotiable, which is freedom. So we moved to Florida. And, and the weather's uh, a lot better. Weather's epic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there is no looking back. I'm like, what did I even do up North for that long? Like, that's like, I'm a masochist. Like that's crazy. When it so gets like 40 like, degrees in Houston, I'm like, I live too far South. It's not supposed to be this here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's when I come see you guys in Florida. That's it. That's it. You're always welcome. Our house is your house. But, but really to me, it all goes back to that original point of my story. I will not negotiate against freedom ever like ever. And that's what felt violated to me. So I'm like, cool, I'm done. Peace. I'm leaving. And without even thinking twice, gone, like gone, set up our lives, built this wonderful experience for our kids. Like they don't even know there's a COVID, like his school was open. Everybody was happy. There was no fear. Like we found a school that was aligned because that's our value. And I understand that's not someone else's value. I don't care. I care about what, what we define in our family as non-negotiable. Well, and not only that, but the thing is, is like the, the, and I could have these numbers off a little bit, but the child brain is like 80% developed by the age of 10. And when you take a situation fundamentally within our society, where you take two of those years away, what are they, what is the impact not at age 10, but what does that impact at 15, 20, you know, when they lost those really critical years of development, you know, of socio, uh, interpersonal relationships, all of that stuff. It's, it's just so important. You're exactly right. So you launched it. Wife was like, I got your back. Let's go <coughs> from that to now. So what is that time frame from project 10 K? Yeah. So June of 2020, we started. Um, I broke every model that we built in about two minutes because I got excited and started talking about it. So I think we had like four or five companies on board in one week. Monty's like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're building, scaling and selling 10,000 tech companies. He's like, you got to slow down. I'm like, dude, we got 9,995 to go. You got to speed up. He's like, no, seriously, we have no infrastructure. <laughs> You're like, give me a minute. Like, I need to figure out India. Like we have, we had a company that we owned in India since 2017. It had like 20 people in it. Like he's like, I, we can't do it. Like we like, give me a chance. I need to hire an HR team. Like give me a moment. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to sell? He's like, find something else to sell for like for 60 days. Like just give me a moment. So we really kicked off in January of 2021. Um, he needed a little bit of time and he's right. Like just to lay some form of a foundation for what's never been done. And uh, so in January of 2021, we really started to push. And since then, um, we've had almost 16,000 entrepreneurs apply to work with us from literally around the world. It's, it's remarkable. From a mud hut in Africa to Miami and everywhere in between. Well, I think that immediately, before you go deeper, I think that immediately speaks to the portion and the segment of society that doesn't get talked about on the news. Right. The, the negativity, you know, get the nine to five job, the 1950 mentality, put your money in your 401k. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those. Right. You know, I've got family that had jobs and they had one job. They stayed there for 40 years. They get five thousand dollars a month and they'll get that till they die. And they're super happy. But then you've got the guy in the mud hut or you've got somebody in Asia, you got somebody in, you know, whatever else. And they've got ideas. They've got these these next level things that they're never going to accomplish those ideas will die with them because there's not an opportunity for them to do something with it and it's even in like wealthy areas in the u.s because what what, what i have found is the majority of people are non-technical they might, might they might be technically savvy but it doesn't mean they can build a tech company 
but they have all these ideas. And the idea might be as a result of the industry that they're in, of personal decisions that they make. Like they, they see inefficiency, they have ideas on how to solve it, and they have no idea where to go with it. So as a result, they take the greatest potential to the grave with that. And I just stand against it. I'm like, why does, why does the graveyard own the potential that exists for man and womankind? Like, let's execute on it during life. So that message lands and especially landed during COVID when all these people were displaced. So we had 16,000 entrepreneurs submit their ideas. <laughs> About 600 of them had a chance to pitch us. We launched a daily show, uh, which is kind of like Shark Tank, but it's just cooler. I love Shark Tank. I mean, it's great. But for the most part, the entrepreneurs that are pitching on Shark Tank, they're not pitching like world-changing ideas. Like the Scrub Daddy is a really great sponge. It and is. Like, it's great. And it makes our pots and pans clean. It gets rid of the, like, the egg that gets stuck. Like it's great, but it didn't change the world. I love that the entrepreneur made a hundred million dollars. Like that's awesome. But it was like, our life is great regardless of Scrub Daddy. But the stuff that we hear, it's really like, like what we're doing with you. It is going to completely radically change an industry. Like, like the industry will never be the same. Like there's no sponge industry. I, I guess there is. But so the stuff we hear in these pitches are remarkable. And in our first year, we co-founded over 130 companies with entrepreneurs nice. around the world, which is really more remarkable than even 10,000 in 10 years, because this was our year to figure it out. I mean, remember, I committed and not, well, and not you're, you're getting multipliers yeah. as you go forward. I mean, so I that, you know, that, yeah. I was explaining to um, some of my, my people on my staff, I was like, listen, today, if you're willing to go home early, you're you're giving up that hundred dollars. But that's that's too short sighted. What you're not paying attention to is the time you're putting in grade today has multipliers. That hundred dollars that you gave up or that time you gave up at your desk or in your job or in your studies or in your motivation, multiply that times 10 times 10 because you've got 40 years ahead of you in your in your occupation. And so every hour that you're willing to go do something else now, you're giving up massive multipliers of what that time was actually worth and that's exactly what you're dealing with you know 130 in your first year is fifteen thousand in 10 years yeah exactly and and this because this was our year to, to figure it out like what does it look like to scale our company in india and what other countries do we scale it to how do we do bookkeeping at scale like how do we do fundraising and investor relations at scale what does it look like to write marketing content at scale like we we had to figure out something not once but a multiplier effect. So what I'm proud of is we figured it out. Um, and what I'm most proud of though, is we're not playing law of averages. So it's not like if we launch enough companies, we have a couple of winners, like everything we say yes to, we see a path to build it, to scale it, to sell it. And for all different valuation, because every company is solving a different size problem. My certainty, Jason, comes from two things. So one of them is our team and our ecosystem. So as you know, because you work with a team, extraordinary people, such talented and committed people. Uh, and our ecosystem of co-founders, investors, advisors, like we, we have a really special thing here. But the second reason is the amount of attention that we have. We have attention from everywhere, from athletes and celebrities to politicians to legends in Silicon Valley, <coughs> big tech companies, family offices. And one of the people that we got the attention of, which is why we met, um, is Grant Cardone. And for those that don't know who he is, um, he's a huge real estate um, investor. He has a a fund called Cardone Capital that's now over $5.2 billion. And he's crowdfunded almost a billion dollars, which is remarkable. No one's really yes. ever done that before. He's a huge following on social media. 
And uh, he heard about me about 10 months ago. And he said, this dude is crazy or he's onto something, but I got to meet him. So he invited me out to his office. I live in Florida now. So I drove out. I didn't know him personally at all. So this was my first time meeting him. I knew of him, obviously, with his work. And we hit it off. We spoke for hours. And he said to me, Jared, I want to get involved. And I remember sitting in the seat when he said that. And I'm thinking to myself, what could Grant Cardone do with me? Like, in some ways, he's kind of the ultimate contradiction to me because he tells people, don't invest in anything you can't touch. Yeah. You can't touch this stuff, right? He's a real estate guy. And we're sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, well, there's a lot of people that love him and there's some people that don't. He's somewhat polarizing. Um, but everybody will say he's a great investor. Because there's not many people that have invested their way to become a billionaire. Like Warren Buffett has, like Grant has, like not many have invested. It's a short list. The short list. Most like they sold a company, like like they sold a big tech play. Like not many people have done, or they built like the real estate developers, like, like, but he's invested in pre-existing things to become a billionaire. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if he invests in Project 10K, it's kind of like the ultimate stamp of approval because he just doesn't do that. Like, that's just not what Grant does. So I'm like, Grant, you should invest. And he goes, I'm in, like that, like on the spot. And he ended up making a pretty significant investment into Project 10K. And he said, but I want to do more with you. So like, what do you have in mind? He goes, I want to create something called 10X Incubator with you. And I want to go out to my audience, which is 15 million people on social and 5 million on email and probably hundreds of million that aren't even on either that are just like following. And uh, I want to invite them to submit their greatest idea. And I want your team at Project 10K to review every idea. And if you decide to move forward with any of those entrepreneurs, I want a little bit of equity in the deal so that I can care and I can promote them when they're ready. And I'm like, let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. And it was awesome. I met you. I met some other extraordinary founders as well. And it works so well with Brand that we've launched seven other versions of that with other thought leaders and actually country leaders too. We have a version in the Dominican Republic, one in Israel. Uh, we have one of the sharks from Shark Tank that launched a version of it with us. We have a female focused, um, what we call ecosystem um, a collaborator where they launch their own ecosystems and really just bring deal flow to us. So we figured it out. And I often get challenged, like, how are you going to actually do this? I'm like, listen, like, like that's a detailed question, but I'll answer it for you. Salesforce.com has 88,000 employees right now. So that's just what it's going to take. Like, period. Like, we're just going to have to have a very large team. Like, and, and that's just the detail, right? But they hired, yeah, and they didn't hire 88,000 people. They acquired companies and then they had their talent get absorbed, which is what we're doing now. We already are in talks with a number of software development firms, marketing agencies, UI, UX firms, because we're going to acquire them. Because what I know to be true is the single greatest challenge that every business faces is business development. They're just not very strong at getting deals. And what we are the best in the world at is getting deals. So if I could tell a marketing agency or UI UX firm or software development firm, never worry about new business ever again, just build world-class platforms. They're going to say it's a dream. Well, that's what? The dream is your reality because that's what we're going to do with you. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, And collaboration is everything. We win together. That's how this works. Let me ask you something. I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are, they get confused or when you talk about being a technology founder, right? I think that, you know, in my mentality back in the day, you know, back in the dot-com bubble and everything else, technology was writing code or some super elaborate thing that a very, very segmented portion of the population could do. Can we talk just a little bit? I mean, because I've, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of the different tech companies that you're launching. And I mean, these are ideas that are specific to different industries. They're all, you know, absolute game changers. 
but it's not, I mean, you talked about, obviously, you know, we're non-tech tech founders, right? Yep. But give me just a little bit of explanation as to what you consider a technology idea. Because yeah, I think sure. that's a confusing term for a lot of people. Great question. So what we focus predominantly on um, is software-based solutions. We do have a few hardware platforms as well. But what we look for are inefficiencies. We look for inefficiencies in industries, inefficiencies in countries, inefficiencies around the world. And what we want to find are the people that have an idea for the solution. So for example, we'll speak about some real examples. So Josh Osteen is our co-founder uh, for ClaimGuru. And ClaimGuru is a business technology for the public adjusting industry, which I actually didn't even know existed until I moved to Florida and then I met Josh. I did not know anything about that. And now I know a lot about it. But public adjusters go out to people's homes whenever there's any natural disaster. Or, like in Florida when you have a hurricane every year. Hurricane, exactly. <laughs> Florida is like the mecca of, of public adjusting. And uh, then they help, they work with the homeowner to try to get um, the money from the insurance company. Sure. So um, it's a big industry. It's a really, really big industry oh, yeah, that, has, that has had no innovation love whatsoever. There's one tech platform in the public adjusting industry for the past 30 years that pretty much everybody uses. And those that don't use it will sign up for salesforce.com, which is not built for the industry. And they'll try to like duct tape it together to do what they around, need yeah. to like drive their business. So Josh is a very successful public adjuster for over 10 years. And he's been looking at the industry and he's like, there needs to be a better business technology. Like there's such inefficiency with that one platform and then Salesforce is a joke. It's not, it's not built for this. Like, it's just not what it's for. So he had the idea of what's missing. He's non-technical. He can't build it, but he knew what had to get done. He knew the problem and he knew the solution and he was able to communicate it to us. And we said, we want, we want to solve that problem with you. So we co-founded a company called Claim Group. And it's about to launch actually in May. We're very excited. This is one of the biggest things we've built. It's very, very complicated. And what it is, is a subscription service which means that, that public adjusters will pay for it every month or every year, and it will run the entire public adjusting process. So that when a public adjuster goes to a home, they input the data inside this platform, which is a mobile app, and also on their computer as well. It syncs up directly, and they're able to go and literally run the entire claim process through this platform uh, from, from beginning to end. Never, never been done before. True innovation. He is non-technical. Like, he is completely non-technical. But he is in the industry, he saw a problem and said, this is a solution. Another example. So Mike Searock is our co-founder of a company called Blueprinted. And Mike's frustration, because that's where all inefficient is inefficient, all inefficiencies are derived from frustration, is he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on personal and professional development, courses, books, events, and he always felt like he didn't get the results he was looking for. Although in his mind, he did everything he was told. He'd watch the video, he'd execute. And then one day I said to him, can you imagine if the only way that you could bake a cake was to watch a 60 minute video on how to bake a cake, and then you had to go and bake it? Do you think you'd pull it off? He's like, there's no shot. I'm like, why? And he's like, I just, there's no, what are the ingredients? Like, what are the steps? I'm like, we well, are going to watch the 60 minute video, right? He's like, yeah, but I can't, I can't remember all the steps. I can't remember all the ingredients. I'm like, that's the problem with the personal professional development industry is you have to watch a 60 minute video and somehow remember the steps and the ingredients and the tasks. And no one can do that. Like yeah. no one has an attention span like that. So I'm like, we need to create a blueprint. He's like, what's a blueprint? I'm like the exact steps people follow to produce an outcome where we reverse engineer success, we put it in a project management software and people literally just go through step by step by step by step 
to produce whatever that outcome is, whether it's planning a date night or building a following on Instagram or launching. These are hundreds of different on this platform. It's hundreds of different industries. It's a marketplace. You want to get a franchise. You want to open a franchise shop. You want to get into building a real estate team. You want to. I mean, there's just there's a, a limitless number of opportunities there. Limitless. And it's a marketplace, right? So we built this marketplace. We're leveraging the knowledge of the world and just making it easier for people to produce outcome. Let's talk about you, right? So you're in the real estate industry and you're like, this industry is about to get disrupted. And either I'm going to be disrupted or I'm going to be the disruptor. Why did you choose to be the disruptor? Well, you know, the, without the panache of sounding refined, you can either go down with the ship or you can set it on fire and get on a dinghy. Um, you know, <laughs> the real estate industry, as we've talked about numerous times, technologically really hasn't advanced. They've they've wrapped new packages on an old way of doing business for 40 years. You know, they took the MLS from 1908 and then they put it in book form in the seventies or eighties. And then they took it out of book and they put it on the internet, but there hasn't been any real technological advances. You know, you talked about COVID. We talk about people being glued to their phones and the secular nature of society. People, they want to feel safer. They want to feel more transparent. They want to feel better about what's going on. And they also want to save a lot of cost. And so that's what Rift does is it allows buyers and sellers to organically come together on a singular platform that's designed for them, where they're in complete control of the home purchase and sale, <coughs> cuts their cost by 60%. And it also takes 90% of the third party costs that they use and puts them back into a position where they're only really needed in the transaction. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, the platform is looking really good. I've been working with the team. Uh, you know, we'll have that. You're a great out. example, right? Like you're, you wouldn't call yourself technical, right? Like, no. it's not, like if you thought of, if you had to think of all the different adjectives to call yourself, like <laughs> damn sexy, smart, but like not technical, right? Like that, that, that wouldn't show up, but, but it didn't, but you don't need to be right. Like, like this is, this to me is the next era of entrepreneurship. Sure. You need to be a problem solver. Like you need to say that's an inefficiency that's bothering me enough to think of a solution and then you must find the right team to support you. Got to make a better mousetrap. Me, I'm non-technical and I have somehow found a way to do really everything wrong, but then make it and have a tech platform that serves over 40,000 small business owners right now and continues to grow and is now ready for a sale because there's unsolicited offers that are coming in. Like, and I'm non-technical. Like I, I, I do not know how to write code, but I know how to solve problems. And that's like my war cry is if you're someone that stands to solve inefficiency, stop talking about it and start doing something about it. And that's why we exist at Project 10K. So last question, I'll let you go. I know you're crazy busy. Sure. So, um, you know, I've mentioned, we like to talk about where you're coming from, where you're going, who built you up along the way and who you're taking with you. Now, obviously I know you're taking your wife and your children with you because father first, um, outside of your direct family and those obligations that we have on our hearts, who are you taking with you? I mean, with, with the Project 10K, who are you bringing forward? I, yes, I already know the answer, but I want to hear it. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, um, I realized probably about a year ago, I'm like, I just thought of the greatest hook ever because everybody wants to be a tech founder. I mean, think about this. The coolest thing ever was to become an athlete. And now athletes are like, I want to become tech founders. So we yeah. have like professional NBA players that are retiring at 35 with 50 million bucks in the bank and all they can think about is becoming a tech founder. Like sure. becoming a tech founder is, is by far the sexiest decision ever. So I was thinking about this about a year ago. I'm like, I have the greatest hook ever. Like my hook is I'm going to make you a sexy tech founder. But really what I'm doing is showing you that you can have it all. 
Because as much as I care about building, scaling, and selling every company inside of Product 10K, what I care more about is who our co-founder becomes on the journey to their exit. Absolutely. And when they sell their company, if their kid doesn't know them and their spouse hates them, I failed them. So Absolutely. what we talk about is have it all. Have it all with your health, have it all with your relationships, have it all with your hobbies, your adventure, commit, non-negotiate with having it all. So who I'm taking with us, are our entire team at Project 10K and their families, all of our co-founders that have said, yes, I'm going to pursue this dream. I'm going to solve this problem. All the investors that believe in our co-founders and have said, yes, I want to invest. I want to support this innovation and all of the end users that are the building the valuation within these companies. It's a really, really big boat because it's going to represent pretty much everybody in the world. And I stand for that. And here's the coolest part though. My mom asked me two weeks ago, how, do you, how will you know you made it? And my answer was this, when no one even knows I started it. There is no ego driving this whatsoever. I just want to know we did it. That's it. And what I really want to do is lift up the 10,000 founders so they have their moment. I'm good. I just want to make sure that every one of our founders, that this is their biggest win. What we are doing at Project NK is their biggest win, and I am committed to that. So I'm just taking everybody along. Well, you know, the social impact of that, and this will be my last thing, is that you know, you're talking about 10,000 people, you know, or 10,000 ideas, but with every one of those ideas, there's a hundred people involved yeah. and all of those hundred people, whether it's the neighbor three houses down, you know, that's going, man, I can't believe John did that. You know, how many more, what is that multiplier of how many people are now thinking differently? They're hearing differently. They're, uh, they're coming up with their own ideas. They're becoming more motivated because, you know, it's Bill Gates is not motivating. Right. Seeing what Bill Gates did, because that's like Elon Musk is like the guy's just a savant. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be Elon Musk, you know, but when Mike opens a technology company and goes and exits at thirty eight million dollars and you're like, I know Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and what no one more importantly is your kids see you do it. Yeah. It's like your kids see you having a really great life, Jason. Right. You got a very successful real estate business. Great life. You're like, but I want more. Like I want more impact, I want more freedom, and they see you go after your 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 biggest move yet, and then it works, and it sets a whole new standard for them, and then that's their norm. Their norm is like I need to go after my moonshot. Sure. I'm gonna go after my big my, and then they have kids and see them do it. Like that's that's the ripple effect that this. Well, this you know, happens. people talk all the time about generational wealth and take the dollars out of it. That mindset, in my opinion, is the generational wealth you're creating a new foundation you know of keeping my kids motivated and them taking that forward to their kids and creating just a, a different mentality within your bloodline for lack of better terms and not only that but in the people that you you surround yourself with well it looks Did like we, we had a bit of a mix up and lost our connection with jared yellen wanted to take a minute to tell him thank you so much for being here today if you'd like to check out jared on his multiple platforms go to project10k.com and then when we send this movie out uh sorry interview out we will also have included that all of his social media links uh, thank you again to jared yellen 10x incubator project 10k uh, make sure you guys hit the subscribe button below and we look forward to seeing you next week